Hello, and welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show, a podcast to help you unlock tremendous growth for your app. My name is Shamant Rao. I'm the CEO of the boutique growth marketing firm, Rocketship HQ, and host of the podcast, Mobile User Acquisition Show. In each episode, we feature experts in the field of mobile growth and discuss strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing. By the end of each episode, you will have gained actionable and tactical insights that will help you make more informed decisions in your own work around growth. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is produced by Meryl Vincent, Content Marketing Manager at Rocketship HQ. Our guest today is Matt Bailey, Founder and CEO of GameOn. GameOn has had quite an unconventional journey from a B2C free-to-play prediction app that grew to 30,000 active users to a B2B game technology company listed on the Canadian stock market. In today's episode, Matt talks about how his company was brought to the brink due to COVID and how because of that, they decided to execute an unlikely pivot. He shares his experience of getting clients from across industries, including reality TV, sports, and streaming, and how predictive games can apply to almost any industry across the world. Matt also shares some insights into the fascinating world of NFTs and how he sees them being a critical part of the future. Overall, this is a fascinating and insightful episode and one that shows what unlikely doors can open up for mobile app businesses, even if they begin as B2C consumer-facing apps. I'm very excited to welcome Matt Bailey to the Mobile UA show. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have you because you've certainly had a very unconventional journey, which we will talk about, and that's what I'm excited to begin with you, really pivoting from being a consumer-facing app to what's essentially a B2B offering. And I'm sure there are consumer-facing aspects of what you do, but I think that's a pivot and uh, a transformation, which I think is very unique. And I think it's just a lot for folks to learn from. Right, let's start up top at the beginning. You guys started off as a B2C app. Tell us about your early journey and about what happened when your early journey basically got to maybe a couple of years ago. What was the inflection point? I'm from Australia and at 23 years old, I just boarded a one-way ticket to, to New York. Just wanted to kind of work in the major leagues. That was the dream. Didn't have anything set up, no, no job or anything really established. I just got there and kind of started making it happen. I spent a lot of time eventually in sports. So the Brooklyn Nets and Barclays Center is where I spent most of my time also in the music festival world, but always on the business side of sports and entertainment. So driving revenue, doing deals, you know, sometimes seven figure deals, always on the strategic partnerships, revenue generating side of, of business. From there, I kept kind of climbing that corporate ladder, but at one point I knew I wanted to build something of my own. I'd come from a, a country, Australia, where sports betting was very mature and that's something I just grew up and, and knew with as attached to sports. And that's where I saw the opportunity of sports betting growing in the US, especially wanted to be a part of the free-to-play part of the funnel. So that's why we started Game On, which was at the start a free-to-play prediction app where you could download it, make free predictions on any sports and win a cash prize. And that was kind of the premise of the app. 
we got that up and running. You, know, you were helping us on the growth side. I think we got to about 20, 30,000 monthly active users at one point and starting to generate some revenue. We went through Techstars, the accelerator program here in the US, which is really good for us. And we we're kind of on that path of growing that business. But then COVID hit and there were no sports. It kind of fell off the yeah. edge of the Our monthly active users just went you know, down to zero almost. And the little revenue we were generating also went to zero. And we didn't have much money in the bank. You know, I hadn't paid myself personally for a year. So I was kind of living off credit cards at that time. And we needed to generate revenue quickly, both for the company and for you know the well-being of myself of running a company with, with little money in the bank. So we're kind of in desperation mode, but sometimes desperation brings out the best ideas. And certainly did for us in white labeling our product. So we, we knew we had good technology and we thought, you know, how can we get someone to pay for this? So we went out and pitched it and pretty quickly uh, we were able to get NBC Universal on to do the official prediction game of the Real Housewives. And that was revenue wow. in the bank quickly. And, and I was like, wow, like that was transactional. You know, we can sell more yeah. of these. That's yeah. what I've done. Yeah. We sold another, we sold another and another and, yeah. you know, forward a couple of years after COVID now and we're a fully D2B business. We focus 100% on being a white label game technology company, things like prediction games and fantasy yeah. games. That's kind of the journey of how we got here. It's an unlikely yeah. or terrible, horrible event like COVID, you know, brought out an innovative concept and, you know, what, what was the yeah. best move for business? Yeah, there's so many aspects of that, which I found very fascinating. I'm also just curious, you said, look, there was an opportunity with NBC Universal, but prior to that point, you guys were very sports focused. What about that opportunity struck you as something that was even viable or a possible direction for the app? Because on the face of it, if you're a sports tech app, a lot of people who run sports tech apps wouldn't even take a meeting from real housewives. They say, they have nothing in common. So what about that structure, something that could be a possible direction for the product and the company? When we were a B2C product, we were kind of focusing on one category and didn't want to branch out into, you know, making it not focused on just sports. But we always knew that the technology was applicable to any content. It could be sports, reality, TV, news, elections, the stock market, uh, the weather, really any content we could power prediction games for. We just needed the data to be funneling into it from different various sources to fuel and power the, the prediction game. So we always knew that from a B2C product standpoint, we focused on sports and entertainment also, or really just sports. But then if we're white labeling it in different use cases, in different places, different products, we're comfortable going out and saying, you know, we can do this for reality TV. We can do this for news, the stock market, whatever. So our products back then and even today, are content agnostic. They're also agnostic to geography. You know, we can roll this out in any country, in any language, in any place in the world. And today our partners are certainly not just sports. We're working with MX Player in India, which is a big streaming platform there. And we're focusing on a lot of stuff that actually isn't sports. You know, they, they have a lot of other content that our technology is directly applicable to. And the other thing is, like you said, there's not as much technology and competition serving those categories as well. So not only did we know that our technology was applicable 
but we saw a market that wasn't being served in on the entertainment side of things and saw that as an opportunity. So interesting, so interesting. For folks who aren't familiar with your product itself, can you explain and help them understand so that they can also hopefully see the commonalities between sports and real housewives and cricket, how the product itself connects the dots or bridges the gaps? Yeah, so we're a, a white label game technology company. So we have games in our product suite, things like fantasy games and prediction games that we white label to any content owners. So that's sports teams and leagues, it's TV networks, it's streaming platforms, even a stock market, for example, if they want to have a prediction game. And what we do is we use the same engine. We're just customizing the front end for the different partners. So for the Real Housewives and for a cricket predictor partner, we're using actually the same technology on the back end. It looks and feels like a different product on the front end because that's the level of customization yeah. that we put into it. So, you know, it's the same technology. We're white labeling those products and we're plugging it into our customers' environments. So, you know, with NBC Universal, it lives in the Bravo app. With MX Player, it lives in the MX Player app. And we, as the game technology partner, bring it to life from start to finish. They kind of just let us plug in and sure. give us the key. And then they don't have to do a thing from there. So there's zero lift sure. there, which is a big plus for them. You know, they're focused on the content. They're focused on community and we focus on the game. So that, that's what we're doing with our partners. And again, the content is just the content. The technology itself is applicable across, you know, all types of content, be it sports or reality TV or anything in between. So I understand the main thing you guys are doing is really take data or variables. The data could be about the color of, a reality TV person's outfit or what house they're living in, or it could be the score of a player in a game. As long as that raw data is available and there are users available to predict things. So in sports, they would predict, oh, who is going to win XYZ game for a reality TV thing. They would predict what outfit is this woman going to wear. And you guys have like a reader board for making the right predictions. That's the, the predictor product, yeah. It's a, and the fantasy product is similar, but you're drafting and picking players or characters. So, yeah, our, our games add engagement by adding layers of gamification to the experience. So, you know, before the sport or before the episode or before the event, fans are making predictions on what they think will happen. Then during the event, they're going up and down leaderboards, making certain achievements, make it top of the leaderboard and then they're, they're winning not only rewards but they're winning recognition and status you know the real housewife yeah. want to be the most knowledgeable real housewife fan or if you think about mm -hmm. the bachelor bachelor nation are just as crazy as you know nfl fans yeah and they want to be yeah. the best it's not just about yeah. winning rewards yeah. it's about the status and recognition that you get in front of a community yeah. that you I'm not in the Bachelor Nation demographic, but I get what you're talking about. Great. And with your B2B partners, how are these deals structured? On what basis are you guys getting compensated? So there are, there are three ways that we're making uh, driving revenue. The first is setup fees. So that's like a technical integration, the customization fee, depending on what we're doing for the partner to integrate their platform. Then there's licensing revenues. So every product comes with a, a license fee that is month to month or year to year or season to season forever as they're using the product. And then the third is revenue share. If our partner is generating revenue, some of them just want to generate engagement. They're not interested in revenue, but if they are generating revenue, 
where we can, we like to participate in the upside there. Yeah. For example, we do a lot of NFT stuff these days where we're integrating NFTs into the game or, you know, the NFTs are rewards for predicting correctly. If there are NFTs that are being sold and generating revenue from the platform, we're really bullish on maybe taking a lesser license fee and getting more revenue share on the back end to fully align us with our partners. We love doing that. And help me understand how NFTs plug into any of these experiences. If you want to take Real House Fast as an example, or Cricket, but any one example, if you could take and explain how NFTs are plugged in, I think that'd be helpful to understand. So there are a couple of ways. So the first is we work with NFT projects as a content owner. So the same way as we work with reality TV or sports, we can provide gamification for NFTs. An example is our partner Chibi Dinos. There are 10,000 collection of digital dinosaurs. They sold out their collection in 18 minutes, but then there's nothing to do with the NFTs. They're just yours. You can make it your profile picture, but that's about it, right? So for Chibi Dinos, because they're basketball themed, we're building an NBA prediction game. So with your NFT, make predictions on the NBA and every week you either get promoted, relegated, or stay safe in your division. And if you end up in higher divisions, you can buy more exclusive NFTs. So it's really engaging. So that's one way that we kind of add our predictional fantasy games to NFTs. In other instances, they can just be rewards instead of paying out cash or rupees in India when we're working with partners there or signed merchandise, you can actually give out NFTs and we can design Mint and be that blockchain partner for our partners as well. So interesting. Could you help me understand the NBA prediction engine that's linked to the dinosaur NFTs? It seems very interesting. I'm not sure I fully understood that. Yeah, they're, they're a really cool project. You should check them out, chibidinos.io, I believe. Who would have thought that dinosaurs and basketball kind of come together, but it's a really, really cool project. They sold out their project in, in 18 minutes. So now, you know, if you're a Chibi Dino holder, you can use your Chibi Dino as a utility in a prediction game. And then if you perform well in that prediction game, you have the right to buy more NFTs or you can buy gear for your NFT. So think of it as a Fortnite skin. Mm-hmm. If you really buy on the leaderboard, you might be able to buy a crown for your Chibi Dino. Or you might be able to buy a jersey for your Chibi Dino. Things like that that add value and actually change the value. And then, you know, NFTs are a non-fungible asset. So they go up and down in value, which is a whole nother conversation. Why we're going deep in this space is because our chief product officer uh, comes from that world. He conceived NBA Top Shot at Napa Labs. And before that, he built the FIFA game at EA Sports. So, you know, he brings that great experience and that's kind of why we're finding a lot of success in the NFT business and specifically bringing games to NFTs. So interesting. It's a world that I'm starting to scratch the surface up and I'm so intrigued by everything I learn about what's possible there. Just to switch gears a bit, something else that is very interesting about what you do, Matt, is you guys have a very interesting corporate structure, financial structure, if you will. Tell us about that. And tell us why you guys picked that. As I mentioned, we were on that path of being a private company. Went through Techstars, you know. And then when we closed a couple of those white label deals, we were, all right, let's go and leverage this into a seed round. Let's raise our first big round. 
But at that same time, a group in Canada, Victory Square Technologies, put something on the table that was, was interesting. It was the opportunity to raise you know, much more money in a faster period of time by going public on the Canadian market. Now, it's not a New York Stock Exchange style exit or payday for the founders, but it was a way to unlock capital and then liquidity as well. So over time, you have a public stock that can be sold, but of course, you need to grow the business first. And we did a lot of diligence at the time. He was just a mentor of mine, but now he's our chairman, Jay Moses. He comes from the original Grand Theft Auto team, and then he's still on the board of Take-Two Interactive. He helped me diligence it a lot because he has that public market experience at Take-Two. And at the end of the diligence, we just said, you know what, let's do this. And we, we did it. We raised $6 million. We went public in June last year. And, you know, we're a small market cap company. We're about $15 million market cap. But now we unlocked capital that could grow the team. You know, we went from three of us to 20 of us full time now working on it with great people like Jay, our chairman, and Santi, our chief product officer that I mentioned, you know, being able to grow the team and bring people like that on board has exponentially driven our business further. So now we're in a great spot where we're thriving and, and generating revenue now. And, you know, it's just an alternate to raising from VC. It's not a better way. It's not, yeah. it's not right for everyone. It's not a sure path to success. But for us, it was the right move. Yeah, I don't know of many growing small startups that have taken this path, being listed in this manner. And are there any downsides or challenges or negatives, if you will, of having the structure? Yeah, there's definitely negatives or, or hurdles, struggles of being a public company. The first is the process of getting public. We were lucky that we had a unique vehicle that could acquire our assets and take us public. And it was pretty short, but when I say that, it took about seven months from, from yeah. start to finish. So that's considered short. But then obviously, you know, the public nature of the business and the financial reporting, the auditing that has to get done, that, that not only takes up a lot of my time. So, you know, I'm not in the weeds of business anymore. I'm spending most of my time on the corporate side of it. And as a founder, it's, that's hard to do sometimes. But at the same time, I'm learning so much that I wasn't before. So I'm really embracing yeah. that new role, kind yeah. of playing more of a leadership role, motivating role where I've brought on these amazing people, part of the leadership team, and, and they're running the business day to day while I oversee it and work on the corporate side. But then obviously there's a, also the financial part of auditing and the cost of keeping up with financials and auditing is also you know, a burden that comes with this path. The other is that, you know, when the market goes down, you get hit as well. So, you know, sometimes your business is thriving and you're like, we're killing it, but the market gets hit and you just kind of have to ride that bad way. So, you know, yeah. there, there are ups and downs and there are positives and negatives. If anyone's thinking about it, you just need to look at your individual situation and, and recognize it's yeah. for you. So it sounds like, yes, it's an unconventional path, but it gives you extra homework you have some yeah. other risks that you wouldn't have, but it's worked out for you guys so far. For sure, yeah. Cool, cool. This has been very interesting diving into your unconventional directions that you've taken, but I certainly learned a lot. And I think it's also helpful for folks who probably are locked into a B2C, free-to-play app, that think that's the only path forward for them to think about, look, what else they could do, what other possibilities there might be that may not be immediately obvious or evident. 
uh, thank you so much for sharing. This is perhaps a good place for us to wrap, Matt. Yeah. But before we do that, could you tell folks how they can find out more about you and everything you do? Yeah, gameon.app, APP is where you can look at our products and learn about us. All of our news is there. You can learn who we're working with. And then, yeah, if there is anyone that's, you know, is struggling with the B2C path and looking at that B2B as an option or didn't know it was an option, you know, my virtual door is always open. So you can reach out Certainly. to me anytime, Matt at gameon.app. And yeah, it was good. We've got to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely, Matt. And we'll link to your credentials, et cetera, on the show notes so folks can reach you if they would like some advice, right? Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on the show. No worries. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share.